Let's come to Psalm chapter 40, if you would, please. The book of Psalms. Or as Yellow say, Psalm. Psalm chapter 40. And we'll begin by reading verse number 5 this morning. Psalm 40 and verse 5. And this is a wonderful psalm. They're, they're all good, but this particular psalm is filled with messianic references and great promises. And there's a lot to this psalm. I'd like to give you a few very important thoughts from it though this morning verse number five the Bible says this many O Lord my God are thy wonderful works which thou hast done and thy thoughts which are to usward they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee if I would declare and speak of them they are more than can be numbered What a great verse. Let's pray about this just for a moment. Father, please, as we enter now into the Word of God, we are reminded of how much we need you. And Lord, today we we desire to fulfill that biblical command. You said, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. So Father, today we want to draw our attention to you. We want to fix our eyes on you. And we want to think about what you did for us and what you do and what you will do. And Lord, thank you for being so good to us, and I pray you might minister to the people today. Oh, Father, please fill me with your spirit. Might Jesus Christ increase, and all of us, beginning with me, decrease. Lord, we want to see you today. Please work, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a wonderful verse, isn't it? Many, he says, many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done. You're going to have to forgive me for slipping this into the sermon, but anytime you hold a newborn baby in your arms, what a wonderful work, amen. But you know, it's not limited to those sort of situations. I think sometimes we take for granted just how much God does. There are obviously things that he does that we don't know about, and I don't intend to make you feel bad for not knowing about all those things. But I think we'd, we would do very well to slow down Turn, turn the TV off, shut the computer, turn off the phone and just meditate on the wonderful works of God. Just think about where you were and where he's brought you to today. Now that's, that's what brought David to write this psalm. Starting in verse number one, he gives us some background to verse five. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. You ever had to do that? You ever felt like God was running late? All the time, amen. I don't know who first coined the phrase, but it's very true. I first heard it from Brother Jim Lentz. He said, God is never early, and God is never late. God is always right on time, amen. Now, it doesn't feel like that. The Lord is not, the Bible says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So some men count slackness a little different, and they look at the way God operates and say, man, he's, he's running behind schedule. Not according to him, he's right on time. David was aware of that, and he, he had some things going on in his life, and we'll talk about them more in a moment, but he said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and heard my cry. How did he know that? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever prayed and wondered to yourself, 
I wonder if God heard that prayer. I wonder if God's listening. I wonder, does Jesus care? Now, if you're an honest person, you'll admit that there have been times where you've wondered that. We sang about it this morning, and I chose the song on purpose. Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? These are real human questions that we all deal with. Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed? You ever been there? Have you been there this week where you really tried and you still made a mess of it? Amen. I might write that on my tombstone when I die. I tried but failed. (laughs) That seems to be the story of life. The question is, does he still care even when you have failed? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief, I find no relief, though my tears flow all the night long. I love how the chorus gives a resounding answer. And boy, you guys sang it out the way it should be sung today. Oh, yes, he cares. That's where you really want to punch it hard. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. How did David know this? He knew Because, verse 2, he brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. David had some experience with God. Now, for those of you that are brand new Christians, you just give it a little bit of time, and you'll find yourself in plenty of pits. You might find yourself one day in the pit of debt. You might find yourself one day, God help you, in the pit of divorce. You might have to one day go through the deep pit of disease. You might be struggling today to get out of the pit of doubt. You might find yourself today in the dark pit of discord in the home. There are so many pits, more than we can name. This is just life. You get out of one pit and you get into the next, it seems. David had some experience with God and he knew by this point He knew that as I fall into the pit and I begin to pray, I know my Savior cares. I know that God's listening because he has pulled me out of so many pits and and established my goings. I know that God is not going to leave me in this pit. Now, I know there's one pit more than any pit that, that proves to me my Savior cares, that proves to me the wonderful works that God is capable of in my life. He pulled me out of the pit of the depravity of my sin he pulled me out of the pit that horrible pit of being lost of not knowing where I was going to go when I died I was I was a a slave to my sin and the, the harder I tried to get out of that pit the more I worked the deeper I dug the hole Amen. Do you remember that before you met Jesus as your savior the harder you tried to make yourself right the worse it got And you just prove to yourself over and over again, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to be a better guy. And as soon as you try, you find out, man, I am no good. (laughs) 
I am just rotten to the core. It doesn't matter how hard I try. I cannot fix my life. I do not have peace with God. I do not know that my sins are forgiven. I stay in constant doubt of my relationship with God. And then one day somebody brought you the gospel and said, listen, Jesus Christ, he's not expecting you to work your way out of the pit. He's not expecting you to climb your way out of the pit. Jesus loved you so much, he came down into the pit, grabbed you up and carried you out of the pit, amen? He died on the cross to take away all those sins so that you can be reconciled and, and have that peace of God ruling in your heart and you hear the sweet spirit of God whispering in your soul, forgiven, forgiven. Oh, I know, I know my Savior cares. I know the thoughts that God has towards me because he pulled me up out of that horrible pit of sin. I like how it says, out of the miry clay. Out of the miry clay. You can think of this as sinking like in a dungeon without a good floor, just sinking in that miry clay. That's how life without Christ is. It's just going down and down. You try to go somewhere, you're not gonna go anywhere. You're just sinking. Miry clay. You know, you know what Adam was made out of? Clay. Brother, sister, we all have feet of clay. We are all born with a sinful nature. That is the capacity to sin. And without Christ, we fall into that pit over and over again. He pulled me up out of that horrible pit, out of the miry clay. I like this. He set my feet upon a rock. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, and that rock was Christ. Amen. That rock was Christ. Christ the Bible says other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ my feet are set upon a solid rock that cannot be moved the foundation of God the Bible says standeth sure my salvation is not depending on what I do my salvation depends on who Jesus is and what he did on the cross for me that is a solid rock brother you can't get any more solid than that he set my feet upon a rock. Look what else he did. He established my goings. I love what Paul said. Great comment on this. Galatians 2 verse 20. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I know that Christ loved me enough to come down into that horrible pit and rescue me. And now my ways are established because I am not in control of my own life. I'm not doing it my way. I live my life by the faith of the Son of God. My feet are set on the rock and everywhere I go is based on that rock. You know what a lot of people are seeking today in their life is some stability. You need a solid rock. Don't you remember what Jesus said? Any man that hears my sayings and does them, I will liken him unto a man that built his house on a rock. On a rock. Why? Because you're doing it the way I told you to do it. You're following my ways and not your ways. You're following my thoughts and not your thoughts. You built your house on a solid rock and when the rain comes and the floods crash against that house, the house won't fall because it's built on a rock. But you take the foolish man who builds the same looking house, right? Tries to build a life, but he doesn't do it based on the word of God and based on Jesus Christ. He's, he's building it on sinking sand. And the same storms, the same rain, the same flood is gonna crash into that house, but the house is gonna fall 
There's no rock. There's no solid foundation. David, he's thinking back to the times that God pulled him out of these pits. Saying, oh, man, God's been good to me. Many, many, O oh Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done. He says in verse 3, he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. That's, the, that's one of the purposes of songs, is to praise God. Not, not to entertain the people, but to praise God with them. Amen. The songs ought to be Christ-exalting. They ought to magnify the Lord. They, they should move your heart and not your hips. Amen. He says, God's put a new song in my, in my mouth, even praise unto our God. I have found this to be so true. It's been one of the most heartbreaking things of dealing with this voice trouble of mine is I can't, I never was aware of how much I used to sing. And now I can just whistle. <laughs> I'm becoming one of the world's best whistlers. (laughs) I am whistling my way through the hymn book, I promise you. But he's put a new song in my heart. You know what happens when when people get happy? The Bible says if any among you is merry, is, is happy, let him sing. So David has found a new reason to be happy. And it is that happiness, that joy is manifesting itself in song. Now, look what else he says. He's put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. I can't help but giggle when I read that. There's a new song, and he says, many shall see it. He does, why didn't he say many shall hear it? Evidently, you know, people get to singing real loud, and it's so bad, everybody else puts their fingers in their ears, and all they can do is see you singing. They can't hear you singing. <laughs> like, oh, my soul, what's going on there? Well, he's happy in Jesus. We'll leave it alone. <laughs> Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Wow, how bad is your singing? <laughs> when, they, when they start praying, say, God, we trust you. <laughs> You must have saved him because if a man that, that bad at singing is singing, he's walking by faith. <laughs> he says in verse 4, Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Well, what's he getting at? David says, I've been in so many pits and God has brought me out of them. I've learned not to put my faith in men. I've learned not to try to fix things the way they tell me to fix it. I'm going to trust the Lord. Those that turn aside to lies are the people that are following false gods. So they'll come to you and say, listen, you want to fix your life? Here's this program or this plan, these worldly options. I don't need those pagan ideas. I just need to follow the Lord. I need to do it the way he said. And David's learned that the, the, the happy man, the secret to a happy or a blessed life is to trust the Lord. Now, based on all of that, he comes to verse 5 and says, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. You know, I, I also, I can't, I can't pass this by. It's such a great opportunity. I believe that what David has given us here, it paints a wonderful picture, not only of what God can do, but his position in heaven right now in relation to us. Let me explain what I mean by that. They say that our communication is is built on more than just what we say. 
Now, the people that study this stuff, they say, and you guys that were at the couples conference, I gave you these numbers, you might remember. 58% of what you say, or, or let's say how you communicate, 58% is your body language. I know that to be true because that's what I do every week is I watch people as they listen. And your body language says a lot. 58% of the message we're getting across is body language. 35% of the message you're communicating is your tone. So it all depends on how you say it, not just what you say. And that leaves 7% for the actual words that you use. Kind of a scary thought. Right, ladies, don't you know this is true? When your husband says, I love you. And it depends on how he says it. Depends on what he... What's going on when he says it, right? He's watching the rugby and you're passing by and you say, honey, I love you. And he never even looks up. He says, yeah, I love you too. I love you too. Yeah. He said, I love you too. But it's not the same, is it? <laughs> it's not the same as if he hits mute, turns to you, gives you a big hug. I, you see, there's a difference. Now that's, that's communication skills, body language, tone, and then the actual words. What about God's body language? You, don't you think that says something? Look at verse one. I waited patiently for the Lord, and, and what did he do? He what? He inclined unto me. The Bible says that the Lord humbles himself. Listen to this. He humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and the things on earth. He, he has to humble himself just to look around heaven. That's a step down for him. When you start to pray, God leans over. And the Bible says his hand is not shortened that it cannot save. What does he mean, not shortened? He extends it. He says, what do you have to say? And then he reaches out. And as David is sinking in a pit, he knows, I, can, I don't have to panic in the pit. God's listening to what I'm saying. Right now up in heaven, I can wait patiently because the Lord is, he's leaned over. He's so interested in what's going on in my life. It's not just God sitting up in heaven having some angelic secretary take notes and he'll think about it later. As you pray immediately there, God is leaned over with the ear, with the hand cut behind the ear saying, what's that child? What, what's that? Say, would God do it like that? Oh, Psalm 103 says he would. It says that the Father, the Father, the Lord, He pities us as a father pitieth his children. Dads, will you back me up on this? If your child comes to you in genuine need, don't you push everything aside and listen to what that child has to say? Dads, I hope this is your attitude that when your child is genuinely in need, you push, work can come later. Hobbies, you don't need. Let me help my son. Let me help my daughter. Anything I can do to manifest my love to them, one of the greatest honors that a dad will ever have is getting to help. Amen. Getting to help. When that child comes and says, Dad, please help me. Oh, that's my chance to jump in and actually show you how much I care. Don't you realize that just like we earthly fathers, us fallen dads, broken dads, we pity our children. The Bible says the Lord pities us. 
pities us when we're in the pit. (laughs) The father says, oh dear, look what's happening. It says in Isaiah 63 that he is afflicted with our afflictions. I want you to understand the tone of voice, the body language when you begin to cry out and say, God, I'm in this horrible pit and I don't know what I'm gonna do, that touches the heart of God and he says, oh my goodness, I'm, I can't believe this is going on, I'm so sorry. And he reaches down and he cups his ear and he says, child, please speak to me. The Bible says that his ears are open unto our prayers. They're open. David, he, he realizes, he understands the position of God towards a sinner in need. And based on that, he says in verse 5, many are thy wonderful works which thou hast done. Can I ask you to think about that just for a moment in your own life? How many pits has he pulled you out of? How many times has it been so bad you didn't want to go on and God reached down at the perfect moment? You thought he was late. Turns out it was just the right moment, right when you needed it most. You know, David, as a young man, as a teenager, teenagers, I hope you're listening to this, as a teenager, he's watching the sheep in the field and a lion came to attack. Now, I don't know what got into David, but instead of running away going, a lion, a lion, that's what I would have done. I'd say, Mr. Lion, have all the sheep you want. We can make more. (laughs) Here's the big fat ones, because they can't run as fast. Here's the big fat ones, eat them. Not David. He prayed and said, oh God, help me and fought the lion and won. And then a bear came. And instead of running, he said, oh God, help me. As a teenager, he saw the wonderful works of God. He learned that God does listen and answer prayer. And that emboldened him based on the pit of that lion and bear. You see that difficult time when Goliath stepped up. That guy's three meters tall and he's defying the armies of Israel. David said, who is this, who's this puny guy? I'm already taking out a lion and a bear. What's what Stumpy think he's going to do? <laughs> and he says, he's coming in his own name. I'm coming in the name of the Lord God of Israel. He said, this is nothing. And he takes that sling and shoom, gets the job done. Another pit. That's a tough time he's going through. And he watches God answer another prayer. Now he's elevated in the kingdom, but Saul gets jealous and Saul begins to chase him and David's hiding in caves, hiding in the wilderness and pit after pit after pit. God delivered him and David wrote these wonderful psalms each time that God granted deliverance. But then David, after he becomes king, the kingdom's established and he makes some mistakes. He espies Bathsheba taking a shower and decides to do some things he had no business doing. He tries to cover his tracks and has Uriah killed. A few months later, the prophet Nathan steps up and gives him a parable. David doesn't realize the parable's all about him. And at the end of the sermon, Nathan, with that bony preacher finger, he says, David, thou art the man. And it hit him. David realized, I didn't get away with my sin. I dug this pit myself. I put myself in this pit. You know what God did? In Psalm 51, David cries out and says, God, there's no reason you should forgive me, but I'm begging you anyway. Have mercy on me. 
There's no offering I can give you. There's no reason you should, but oh God, please, please restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Created me a clean heart, oh God. You know what God did? Forgave him for that horrible mess. He pulled him up out of that horrible pit that he put himself in. You know what happened a couple chapters later? One of his sons rapes one of his daughters. Horrible. Oh, that hurt the heart of David. God got him through that. God eventually gave him peace over the situation. David eventually did what he needed to do. Absalom tried to take the kingdom after that. Do you see that there's problem after problem? There's pit after pit? And here's what happens. I ask you, I ask you, think about the pits God's pulled you out of. And if you're like me, it is very difficult to rejoice in all the other victories he's given you if today you're in a pit. Because all you can, you're, you're sunk in that miry clay, you're looking around and all you can see are the walls of that pit and you can see no light at the end of that tunnel. Right? I want to remind you of something in this passage. When David wrote this, he could remember the pits that God had pulled him out of he was in a pit at that time. Look at verse 14. We can read 13 and 14. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Present tense. See, verse 2 is past tense. He brought me up. Verse 12, 13, 14. Present tense. David is again in need of help. And sometimes your present struggles will cause you to forget how good God has been in the past. Verse uh, 14, let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, aha, aha. David's going through something while he's writing this. Folks, let me remind you, tribulation works patience. Verse 1. I waited patiently. Tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. You see, after you've gone through some stuff and waited for God to pull you up out of it, you get more and more experience that God is not going to leave me in this pit. And the next time a pit comes along and you fall into it, you know what happens? You all of a sudden begin to rejoice even while you're in the pit. Yes, you're praying and yes, you're in need. You're begging God for help, but something deep down in you knows this is just a chance for God to do something else amazing. I'm gonna have another thing to testify about. This is one more wonderful work that God is gonna be able to do in my life. And in that sense, the love of God gets shed abroad in your heart. You know that he is allowing this to go on because he gets a chance to show you how much he loves you. And that you live for. David realized, yeah, I've gone through some stuff, going through some stuff, but God's still good. In verse number five, if I can bring your attention back to that at the end of the verse, he says, thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. David said, There's, you've done so much and God, your thoughts about my life, there's so many of them, I can't even number them all. I don't even know which came first, second, third, I've lost track. At the end of the verse, he said, if I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered.
I hope, this is, I hope this doesn't get lost on you as I say this. It's such a simple statement. I hope this means something to you. God's thinking about you right now. Have you ever considered that? I wonder what he's thinking. David said there's so many thoughts and God wants to do so much, I can't even number how much he wants to do. I can't even number all the thoughts. What's he thinking about you right now? He said, Brother Mike, I'm so deep in this pit, I don't think there's any way that God cares or is aware of what I'm going through. Why would he let this happen? Look at verse number 17. Verse 17, he says, but I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. This statement is mind-blowing. Do you know how rich David was? Have you ever read about the offering he gave to build the temple? If you put it into present-day money, it was something like five billion something dollars. The, the gold and silver that he gave, whew, this man was wealthy. But when you're down in the pit, none of that really helps much, does it? David said, I'm poor and needy because he needed God to show up. He needed the joy of God's salvation to be restored in his heart. I am poor and needy, and this is the thought that got him through it, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. And that's the, the name of my sermon today, thinking about you. Right now, David said, while I'm deep in this pit and in need of all sorts of help, I know that God is thinking about me. I wonder... When God told Noah to build the ark, I wonder what God was thinking about. When Noah's out there hammering on that ark and putting everything together and people are walking by and mocking Noah, he's preaching righteousness. He's telling them to repent. They won't. Did you know the Bible tells us what God was thinking? It says in Genesis 6, God was grieved. It hurt him. God has revealed his thoughts to us. I wonder what God was thinking when the prophets of Israel stood up to preach to a, re a rebellious nation and would stand up and say, you've cast the law of the Lord behind your backs and all of the troubles you're in, you've brought upon yourself because you rebelled against the God that brought you up out of the land of Egypt and God watched those people mock the prophets, stone the prophets, kill the prophets. I wonder what God was thinking. I wonder what God was thinking when they put Daniel in the lion's den. How about that pit? God was looking, looking down there at Daniel, and there's Daniel praying just like he always had, three times a day. Daniel had been in trouble before, and he knew God could deliver him again. I wonder what God was thinking when the three Hebrew children went into the fiery furnace. God's up in heaven saying, now here's a chance to do something no one's ever seen. <laughs> I'm going to go down there right in the fire with him. I told you that he'd go into the pit with you and pull you out. I wonder what it was like. I wonder what God was thinking when Joseph was thrown into a pit by his brothers. That was so unfair and, and, and Joseph didn't deserve that. You know what God in heaven was thinking? He's thinking, now this young man is going to be sold into Egypt and I will use him to preserve life. 
I will use this pit to get him to the place where he needs to be so that I can save this entire area and all of his kin. Oh, God had a plan. God was thinking this thing through. I've always found it a blessing when somebody calls or sends a message and reminds me, I like, I like getting this message, pastor, praying for you, pastor, thinking about you. That means something. That really does. On occasion, back in the day, I haven't gone back to the States in a while for a furlough to visit the churches that support me, but the last time I was there, I'd go into churches and a lot of them had no idea that they even supported me. <laughs> They'd been supporting me for 12, 13 years. They had no idea. And that's fine. They support maybe 50, 60 other missionaries and they just don't know me by face. So I'd walk in and it was basically an introduction. But they would always say this, very kind, very nice. Brother, if there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. I appreciate that. I do. But, but, they hadn't been thinking about me. You understand, I appreciate their gesture but they hadn't been thinking about me. They were ready to do what was necessary if I asked, but they weren't thinking about me. There were some churches I went in, and as I started to tell a story, the whole church would go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't even finish the story. They already knew the punchline. <laughs> they already knew what had been happening. They had been reading my, I, I write a monthly report letter back to the churches in the, in the States. So they some, some of those churches read all the letters. They knew everything that had been happening in Malawi. They knew I was coming here. And as I stood up to say so-and-so did this, so-and-so did that, they already knew every story. Now, do you understand there's a difference? That church, those individuals, they were not only ready to assist, but they had been thinking on me. Do you realize God is not just up in heaven ready to assist daily? He's keeping up with you. You are able to get to the center of his heart. You touch his affections. That ought to mean something to us. It meant something to David. That's what got him through these pitiful times. I want to show you one other thing in the passage, and then I'm going to turn you to another verse, and then we'll go to the house. But Isaiah 40, you can see in verse number 5, there are many wonderful works, yes? And then he says, and thy thoughts which are to usward, they are more than can be numbered. Do you see that in verse five? His thoughts towards us are innumerable, right? Do you know there's something else in the passage that is innumerable? Look at verse 12. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. He says, the pits that I've gone through, the problems that I've had, innumerable. <laughs> Does that sound about right? Does that sound like life? But there's something else innumerable in the passage. Verse 12, innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore, my heart faileth me. David said, the times that I get discouraged is when I start looking at how bad I am. God's thoughts, innumerable. The pitfalls of life, innumerable. Our own iniquities, innumerable. You, if you tried to write down how many times you've sinned, you couldn't possibly put a number to that. 
And when you think about how many times you've offended God, if, if, if you dwell on that all day, you'll get discouraged and your heart will fail. But here's the beauty of it all. Your sins might be innumerable, but the compassion and the mercies of God also innumerable. So for every sin, there's a thought. <laughs> every time I make a mess, God has a way to fix it. Have you read Romans 8 where it says, we, we have an infirmity. We don't know how to pray as we ought. Remember that? And he says, when we pray, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Tone of voice, groaning. We begin to pray and the Holy Spirit heads right up to the throne and he starts start talking to the Father and he says, oh, Father, this child of ours, what in the world does he think he's doing? Not again, we just got him out of this pit. Well, two weeks ago. He's back in the same pit. Oh, this is grief. Grief is spelt with one letter. Oh. Do you know what verse 27 and 28 says? The Holy Spirit starts making intercession and the one who searches the hearts, he knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession according to the will of God. So the Father and the Holy Spirit are having a conversation. Guess what they're talking about? You. They're up there thinking about you. You know what they're trying to do? Find a way to get you out of this pit and use that experience to teach you something so that you don't fall in that same pit again and somehow, through all of this, give God glory. And that's why the next verse says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So I hit the pit and I say, oh, God, help me. God says, we're on it. It's going to take a little while. You need to wait patiently, but I'll get you out of this pit. Too many times we think this, and it, can I ask you to come to Isaiah chapter 55? We think, well, the mind of God, you know, who will ever figure that out? And we could never possibly know what God is thinking. I want to dispel that myth today. A lot of you know this verse from Jeremiah. You know it from coffee cups and Facebook posts. Jeremiah 29, remember this verse? I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, that I may give you an expected end. Remember that? That has nothing to do with you being prosperous and rich and healthy. God is looking at his people. They're in captivity. And he says it's going to be 70 years. You're going to be in that pit for a long time. But I know my plan. One day I am going to get you out of this pit. God, now the point, the reason I quote that is so that you know, God, he takes his thoughts and he reveals them to us. This idea of, well, I could never know what God thinks about me. That's not true. You can know. God has told us plenty about what he thinks of us. Psalm, or I'm sorry, Isaiah 55 and read with me verse number eight. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Amen. They're nothing alike. <laughs> Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Amen, Lord. You're right about that. Man, you're so right about that. I would do things so different. And I'd be so wrong. In verse nine, the Lord gives an illustration. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's how different they are. You go to the 
uttermost part of the universe, whichever galaxy that is, <laughs> that's the distance between my thoughts and it. They're so different. Watch verse 10. Now, you see, you might give up after verse 9, so forget it. I'll never know what he thinks. Verse 10, for as the rain cometh down. Where does the rain come from? Up there in the heavens. As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Look at there. When the rain comes down and the snow hits the ground, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for going through the, the deadness of winter. It's a necessity so that the, when the spring comes, the fruit comes up. In order to bring forth fruit in your life, there might be a few times where you're out of season, where it gets a bit cold and dark. Verse 11, Lord, why'd you give us that illustration? Verse 11, so my word shall be I'm sorry, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Just like the rain comes down from heaven, you know what God does with his thoughts, with his ways? He sends down his word to us. And he says, here's what I'm thinking about you. I want you to know that if you are sinking in the pit of sin, I've made a plan to get you out of that. And that plan is the Lord Jesus Christ. His death on the cross has paid for those sins. You can come out of that. Are you sinking in debt, divorce, disease, whatever the, whatever the pit is, there's something in God's word that will pull you out of that pit and bring forth fruit from that experience. Look where it ends up, verse 12. Ye shall go out with what? Joy. And be led forth with peace. Why? Because you were sinking in the pit and said, Oh God, I have no idea what to do. And God leans over heaven. And he says, I hear your cry. I'm touched with the feeling of your infirmity. I care about what you're going through. Here's what you do about it. And he sends out his word. And it falls on the ground. You've got to give it a little time. It's got to soak in. It's got to sink in. But given enough time, the fruit comes up. You go out of the pit. There's joy and peace in your heart. All I'm trying to do today is encourage you with this simple thought that God is thinking about you and you have access to those thoughts. He wants you to know what's on his mind. Let's all stand if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed just for a moment. Today I don't know which pit you might be in. But God knows there's plenty of them to choose from. We have an... We have some space. I don't know he, who keeps doing it. I glad, I'm glad they do, but there's a bench set up here. If you want to come forward and pray at this altar, you're more than welcome to. Maybe you just want to cry out and say, God, please help me. I've been in this pit so long, and I'm tired, God. I'm tired. 
I can't see the light of day. I, I, I don't even want to look up. It's too discouraging. That's what David said. I can't even look up. Maybe you want to come and just remember and thank God for all the wonderful works, all the times he brought you up out of that pit. You might want to just concentrate on that for a minute. Find some encouragement in it. Did you know God's thinking about you right now? I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder if he's looking down saying, I've tried to speak to you so many times and you just won't listen. You're breaking my heart. Please, please listen to what I'm saying. I'm trying to tell you how to get out of that pit. I wonder what God's thinking today about you. Maybe he's looking down and he's watching how you've endured this present trial. And his heart is bursting with joy because you haven't given up. And he just wants to remind you today. He's never late. He's never early. He'll get you out of that pit as soon as he's ready. You just hang on. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness, for His wonderful works to the children of men. Before I close, I just want to invite you, if, if you are still in that pit of sin, you've never been forgiven by Christ, you've never received eternal life as a gift from Him, Oh, I beg you today, sinner, please come and find that peace and joy that comes with knowing Christ as your Savior. Have you ne if you've never been saved, can I please pray for you, please? I can't save you with my prayer, but I'd like to ask God to work in your heart. Now listen, no one's looking around, so this is just between you, me, and the Holy Ghost. But would you be willing to just raise your hand and say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. Pray that God helps me. With that, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for the honesty. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that hand. I see your hands. You can put them down. Anybody else say, Preacher, I I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm born again. Pray for me. Anyone? Amen. I appreciate the honesty. Father, I want to thank you this morning for the wonderful works and the wonderful thoughts. Thank you for being concerned about us. What, a, what an outstanding Father you are. Always ready to help. Even when we've messed up. Even when we've tried and failed. Lord, several hands went up today. People that are not sure not sure that they're saved please father help them whatever questions need to be answered whatever they need to see or realize Lord please send down your word let it rain down upon their heart please save those souls today
Lord, and I'm sure, I know, it's just life. A lot of people stuck in a pit of some sort. Lord, thank God we don't spend all of our time in a pit. But it is a fact of life, and I pray you'd encourage your people today. Let them remember that as needy as they are, the Lord thinketh upon them. Help them, God, please. Father, would you bring us back tonight? We'd love to hear more from you. Please continue to walk and talk with us through this day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.